Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today in the village of Threlkeld on a fine autumnal morning with author and illustrator Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Oh, hello, David. It's actually Threlkeld, to be right. actually correct. The locals would put you right and we have a lot of local listeners Good to be corrected this early in the podcast. And we're looking over the great bastions of Blencathra here, Mark. A little bit of cloud weaving among the crags just beside Kilnhow Beck. And I think the last time we were here was with Donald Angus way back in the start of the year. Oh, yeah. A lovely man who really passionate about this area. And who wouldn't be? Frakeld, Blencathra, Cloughhead, Skidder, High Rig. The array of walks and opportunities here are just legion and it's a wonderful setting, a wonderful place to live. So much to love about Threkeld, indeed so much that we've published uh, a walking guidebook to here which I know many listeners have bought. You've obviously got the big guns like Blencathra, like Cloughhead, but also there's so many charming little meadow wanders, river walks, absolutely fantastic. And particularly this time of year, Lakeland doesn't look better than this, does it? We've got gorgeous autumn colours and the holly berries out as well. The leaves haven't fallen yet, so we're really at the tail end of their majestic tones. But this is a little pocket of time when trees take on a floral look about them because they're multicoloured, so they are full of life and energy. A week's time, they'll probably all be gone and we'll get to the skeletons of the trees. But I do actually like looking at a bear tree. You have that to look forward to. I have that look to look forward to. For at least four or five months of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if we are to discount the minnow of Orist Head, however lovely it is, we haven't had a good fell walk for many months, Mark, but we're changing that under these wonderful blue skies today. Oh, yes, I'm girding my loins for a fabulous day on the fells. And what better, what more stirring mountain than Blencathra, or as I still believe, Saddleback. And who are we climbing with? Well, we've got a local lad who has a great story to tell us, and an emotional story, one that few people broach ordinarily. It's Andy Airy, who was brought up in this village, knew it as a lad, knew the mountain as his playground, so it should be a very informative podcast. You touch on his story there, Mark. Andy has made national news in recent weeks with uh, two other dads, all three of them who have lost their daughters through suicide. Uh, And as three dads walking, they did this 300-plus mile walk from uh, Andy's home in Moorland in the Eden Valley all the way down to Kings Lynn, raising awareness of suicide, of mental health, Uh, and of the need to talk. So we're going to talk about those kind of issues today while also enjoying a really good fell walk. I think Andy is waiting for us over there in Dickney Car Park at the start of the out gang that leads up onto the open fell. So let's go and meet Andy.
You made the first strides on today's walk. We've come up from Dickney Car Park, up the outgang, beside Blee's Gill, because of course now Kilnhow Beck has changed its name back to its parental origins, as it were, off the mountain. And we've come to a seat, and I'm with Andy Airy. Could you tell us something about yourself and your connection with the setting? Well, it's great to see you here, Mark, very much on my uh, own home ground. Um, I was actually born in the village, um, just down in the bottom here. Uh, my dad was actually born uh, two farms along from where we're standing, up at uh, High Roll. So this is very much your home ground. That spurred you to do this particular walk on this occasion. And where are we going? We've talked about going out, the, the pair of us, for a little while now. And uh, when we actually got around to discussing where we were going to go, I was really surprised to find you've not been up Glen Catherine. Staggering, isn't it? it is, it is. And so, so this is effectively what was our playground as lads. So uh, that's where we're going. Oh, fabulous. I love Glen Catherine. So we started from Dickney Car Park and we've come up the outgang. Uh, could you tell a bit of a story of how that all came about, the car park and so forth? Well, this is very, very close to home for me because my mum and dad lived in the house directly opposite the car park. Uh, and whilst they lived there, that car park was built in the 80s. Uh, and certainly my brother also calls it uh, Donald's Car Park, uh, aimed at uh, Don Langus, who was still part of the National Park then. And of course, uh, we had that marvellous podcast earlier in the year with Donald Langus. As a National Park ranger, he uh, contributed widely to this area. He's a very practical, active man, even in his elder age. So we're heading up onto the High Fell. So where are we heading? Well, we're going to go up to the top of Dickney through Carfiat. Uh, and then on to the, along by the Fell Wall uh, and across to Gate Gill um, and then up Hall's Fell, or Hall Fell is what we used to call it as lads, uh, straight to the top uh, and then from the top uh, along the ridge and back down Blees, back to where we started. I'd like to know precisely why this particular route stirs your soul as it were, what made you choose out of the many ways that Blencathra spurred you to choose this particular route? Well, quite simply, it's the best. <laughs> Once we get up onto the uh, the stony bit up on Hallsfell Ridge, it's just magnificent, that uh, last half mile. Uh, and I just enjoy it every time I go up there. Uh, Hallsfell, by the way, refers to Threkeld Hall. We'll revel in that. It's a perfect calm day to be on the heights. We'll plod on and get up through the back a bit further, up the outgang. Wow, we made our way through Kafagat <laughs> and we're approaching the fell. Fantastic setting. Wow, this is Trakeld at its best in terms of the mountain environment. You were brought up here. <laughs> well, let's do a bit of pronunciation first, Mark, shall we? Good. So that's Kafagat. Yes. As in Kafgate. And it's Trakeld. Ah, <laughs> you see, even me. Just get rid, get rid of the, the vowels, that's all it is, Throckle. Oh, yes, because I come from Oxfordshire, I bravely <laughs> try to grapple with dialect. <laughs> anyway, off you go. Uh, well, I was born here and spent my first 18 years here. So, uh, went to the school that we've uh, just driven past on the way to Donald's Car Park. And uh, so, this was literally my playground. As, oh. la as lads, this is where we went. As a playground, this this was it. You know, we, we actually built huts up on the fell here. No. Yeah, we are, yeah, yeah. There's one that we walk past. If you go up uh, Gate Gill Fell, and I do 
every time I walk past it, I think, why the hell did we come up here? We built quite a big wall at one point. But in uh, the next intake here, there was a, there used to be an old um, thorn bush just stood. And this was before they actually cleared all this bracken away. And in the summertime, we would clear like a big circle around the thorn bush and play, I suppose, like catch the flag or capture the flag games that people play now. And there'll be dozens of us rushing about in the bracken and jumping out on each other. Yeah, yeah, it's a great place. Yeah, Joss Naylor is very good at flailing the bracken. <laughs> Looks like somebody's had a go at it here. Yes. So what are your childhood memories? Can you trawl those for us? Uh, huge amounts of fun. Um, being free-range kids, you know, we were just outside all the time, whether it be football or cricket or just being outside, um, building dams and uh, tickling fish. But in terms of my earliest memory, the thing that really does stick in my mind, well, I must have been, I don't know, three, something like that, looking out of my mum and dad's kitchen window because it looked due east and looking at Melfell, Great yeah. Melfell, which is what we're looking at now. Absolutely. And uh, my mum telling me that's where Father Christmas lived. And, wow. and because he lived there, he could see what I was doing. <laughs> so I better behave. <laughs> I've got my eyes on him now, and my grandsons will want to know this. Yeah. It's not Lapland, it's Great Melfell. <laughs> Certainly in the... I was growing up in the, the 70s, as a, 60s and 70s, and this was very much a working village then. The, the quarry was still running, um, and it was quite a, um, an industrial place. It, it wasn't a chocolate box village, and it certainly wasn't one of the top 50 villages to live in as voted by in the Times, which I was a bit surprised to hear. <laughs> Although my brother did say, I think it's changed a bit since we lived here. Uh, but yeah, there was, so there was loads of families, um, loads of kids, uh, and we're just out and about. You know, that's, uh, there was like a, a roving gang of children that went out, certainly in the summer, you'd go out in the morning and come back when you were hungry. You didn't need a, a village bobby to watch you. <laughs> well, we did. We had one actually. I happened to live next door to it. <laughs> yeah, that, our, our house was right next door to the village police station, so I definitely couldn't get away with anything. Obviously, living in Thrakel, you tend to be a little bit isolated here. You're not quite in Keswick, and you're certainly a long way from Penrith. So, what was your perspective on the world wider? Yeah, it is. It's it's quite odd. You know, we're only four miles away from Keswick, um, and uh, what was it, fifteen or so from Penrith. But we are in uh, Eden District, so we point politically at, uh, at Penrith. And my dad was an Eden District Council, so he, he spent a lot of time going that way. Uh, whereas I went to school, uh, secondary school in Keswick. And you always felt as though you were a bit of an off-comer uh, going into, into the big town, uh, <laughs> dealing with all those people, you know, coming from this little place. But yeah, it, it's definitely different. It was different being here than the villages in and around Keswick. The train was still operating when you were young. Yeah, I remember getting on the train as a youth and uh, going through to Carlisle um, and watching the... Uh, the uh, yeah, you'll probably lose. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of us used to get on the train and go through to Carlisle. But obviously that disappeared in, was it 70, I think it was 70, 71, something like that, early on. Well, that was fascinating insight a little bit there to uh, your Thrakel days. Anyway, we'll go through the gate into that uh, close there, that garth. We'll follow the lower intake wall east. Lovely to think just before we get to Gate Guildbeck, glance back and look at the absolutely majestic view. A little bit of mist on the top of Clough Head, but I can look towards Ulscarf and Bleabury Fell and back towards the Newlands Fells and right through to Red Pike above Buttermere. So you get a wonderful sweep of fells in this view. Is this a view that means a great deal to you, Andy? 
it just feels completely kind of etched into my memory. I've spent so many hours on this piece of uh, uh, footpath and this piece of fell. It's just here I could draw it. So you're walking uh, as a youngster. You became ever more expansive in your plans and how you ventured on the fells. <laughs> well, yeah, as uh, we were saying earlier on, um, as youngsters, we came out here to play and so got way up onto the fell um, and that was just because we could but during our teenage years we were kind of taken under the wing of Donald Donald Angus who you, you well know yes and so he was um, one of the wardens I think they were called at the time uh, and there was about half a dozen of us seven or eight something like that that would go out regularly with Donald so uh, if he was going out on one of his patrols or to go and build a bridge or build a wall or do something and we were free we would just pile into his land rover and away we went he wants to get the youngsters doing things well he certainly made his work (laughs) (laughs) there was a lot of graft going on i'll tell you that it wasn't it was labor of love but it was definitely labor oh yes yes he he, i was he got his money's worth but since he didn't pay us anything that didn't count did it (laughs) but but through that you know we learned so much because obviously his his, uh, knowledge of the lake district and the flora and fauna and the people as well we were introduced to so many different things. It was just, uh, you know, in hindsight, I suppose, it was a very privileged way of being brought up. Now, when you wandered on the fells, where did your head fall? Your mum and dad weren't going to drive you anywhere because they were busy in the pub. You know, they were busy doing whatever they had to do, so we had to walk. Uh, but we would quite happily walk up to the Mel Fells from here or over the bathroom. See Father Christmas. Of course, see Father Christmas. Check him out. Make our apologies for anything <laughs> we'd done along the way. But up and over here and across the Great Calver and the Colbeck Fells and up onto Skidder and obviously going looking further south, certainly up and along the Dodds uh, as far as Helvellyn would be a, a day out. Uh, and the rig, you know, if it was claggy and uh, Keswick and back, we just covered loads of ground on our feet. Once we actually started being able to move about uh, under our own steam, I think we got to that stage then where we were, I think we were more interested in football, rugby and girls, so we got maybe slightly distracted from the fells for a while. <laughs> And, of course, you have a connection with, with the village pub, the principal one, the Horsham Farrier. Uh, my mum and dad had the farrier in the 70s. Uh, prior to that, they had the village shop, um, which my dad set up after the war. So they worked there uh, when I was born. That's what they were doing. I think I was about 11 when they took on the farrier. So through my uh, teenage years, my formative years, shall we say, I did actually live in the pub. And it was an interesting place to be because at the time... Um, the bypasses were being built, Keswick Bypass in particular. And so the, the village was just busy, full of uh, workmen. The pub was full every night. It was an amazing place to, to be. Amazing, yes. They weren't navvies, but they were thirsty, whoever they were. <laughs> well, actually, there's a lot of them. Mainly, were Irish. <laughs> there was a great gang of them. But uh, no, it was, it was, it, the pub was thrang every night. You couldn't avoid getting stuck into doing stuff. Uh, at the time I was too young to work behind the bar but every morning there would be stuff to do and breakfast to make and things to clean I think one of the things being there um, I've never smoked and I think one of the reasons was one of the jobs I had to do was clean ashtrays oh, horrible. Uh, and I think if you've, cl- if you've cleaned hundreds and hundreds of ashtrays oh. the last thing you want to do is stick a cigarette in your mouth oh. so I'll thank my mum and dad for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and when you got into your teenage years you went to Keswick school Yes, Keswick Grammar School as, as it was then, so uh, that was a bit of a shock to the system because we used to go to school on Saturday mornings. Oh. Yeah, four lessons on a Saturday morning. I can say the, the first Saturday I think I ever went there sticks in my mind because we did uh, double woodwork with the last four lessons. And Illingworth was the teacher, and the very first thing he said, once we got our little brown um, pinnies on, uh, the first thing he said to us was, uh, right, you lot, 
I don't have any favourites, I hate you all the same. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, <laughs> really? It's not like Throckle School is. <laughs> so I was there until, uh, until 18. Well, the gates open, I see, leading us through the intake wall towards Gatekill Beck, and the sun is beaming on Hall Fell. I can't believe what we've uh, landed on today. Happy <laughs> yesterday. I know, the weather's been horrible, but this is just, it's just a perfect autumnal day, isn't it? We've folded Gatekill Beck, and there's a little bit of a waterfall here. Is that a, some kind of dam, Andy? Yeah, all linked to the mines which are farther up the gill. Uh-huh. And behind you, we've actually got the old building where they kept uh, all the explosives. Crikey. Now, our plan for today is to go up that pointy bit. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic to stand here and look at the, the path just here to our right in the knowledge that it goes straight up the fell, straight along the ridge, and does end up right on the top. You know, what could be more perfect than that? Of course, there's various ways up the fell. This is very to the point. You've got the adjacent one there, Doddick Fell and Gategill Fell and Blees Fell. All have their own virtues, although Gategill Fell hasn't got as many virtues as the others. Uh, what's your assessment of all the various ways up the ridges? Well, I think one of the great beauties of Blencathra, and I know why Wainwright particularly liked it, was the variations that could be done on the fell, whether it's in ascent or descent. Um, personally, Hall's Fell is definitely the, my favourite way up, without any shadow of a doubt. Um, second, probably Doddick. I, I, I like just the, the kind of grassy feel underfoot as you go up there. Bits of heather. Yeah, it's just really pleasant. It's very forgiving and you don't really have to think too much about it. Got little rocky knots as well, just to yeah, add to it. Yeah, it's just nice. Um, and people thinking about Blencathra will think about Sharp Edge um, and I couldn't tell you how many times I've been across that. I've found, funnily enough, over the years, the sense of exposure I get on it has got greater. Now, whether that's an age thing or what, I've, I've no idea. But as a youth, I just run across it. I literally run across it. But I must admit, now when you get to the, uh, that awkward step and the, the slab, my brain engages to say, this isn't a nice place. No. It didn't it used to be like that. No, of course, as I've got older, one's sense of balance changes <laughs> and you get ever more conscious of where you're putting yourself and you know it is serious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but then, you know, the, the roots on the end... At scales and blees, I always think uh, descent rather than ascent because they're a bit of a trudge on the way up. But I have done all the gills as well, uh, so if you want to fight your way up to the top, um, I wouldn't recommend them, but they're there to be done. Uh, Been up the canyon, have you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, it is the Wild West Gulch, I'll give you that. Yes, well described. I've, I've been there. And of course, in the winter, you can fight your way up the snow fields from all kinds of directions. <laughs> Interestingly, uh, when we were doing our guide to Throckel, uh, I pondered whether to go up via Vrouten Gill up onto the Atkinson's Pike, but I thought, oh, no, this isn't, doesn't look very inviting. Uh, have you ever been up that way? Oh, many times. <laughs> many, many, many times. Uh, um, certainly in my 30s, I spent a lot of time uh, helping people on Bob Graham rounds, and, of course, the route comes across Great Calver onto Mungreisel Common and straight up the back. When you've got an objective in sight, it's fine. Routon Gill is a bit of a fight. Um, I wouldn't fancy coming up there unless I desperately had to. But uh, coming from around the back, from, if you set off from Mungreisel, it's lovely, over Bannerdale uh, and drop into the call and, and up onto Atkinson Pike. That's a really nice way out of Blencathra. And you'll hardly see a soul until you get to the top. 
if you can have back a skidder, you can have back a Blencathra. <laughs> well, the sun's come out. It went in a moment. It's come back out. And that's good news because the ascent proper starts now. Climb the first little bit that through the heather and we come to a little turn in the path and I get this magical moment where I'm looking down on the A66. The sun is glistening on all the water that's down there on the Glendra Mackin and I can look beyond Great and Little Melfell and you can just see at the far distance the hint of the Pennines but strictly all attention is below and into the Lakeland Fells. A stirring scene Sophie, this is a moment to think about your darling daughter. She was born here, was she? No, Sophie was born whilst we were living in Manchester. Uh, so she was born in Bury. She was a Lancastrian, which is a bit of a, a weird thought. <laughs> no, no I, after I'd left school, I'd moved away uh-huh. uh, through university to start off with and then work. Uh, I was living in, living in Bury and working in Manchester. So that's where Sophie was born. So when did you make the move back up this way? That was early 1990. Uh, Michael and Anita Standring had just bought George Fisher in Keswick from George when he retired. Uh, and I'd known them as a, well, when I was their warehouse boy, actually. I always kept in touch and they invited me back because they were looking for a sales manager for that shop. So we moved back uh, in March, April 1990 and actually ended up living just across the valley. Uh, friends of ours were away travelling the world. And so we rented uh, uh, their house on the top row of the quarry. Right. So that's perhaps where Sophie got into proper walking, you might say. Uh, I don't think she had any choice. Um, <laughs> she had, uh, obviously, when she got here, she wasn't actually walking. So I carried her um, all over the place. Uh, so we had a little Carrymore backpack, one of the very early ones. Uh, and she got dragged up here many times, but all over the, all over the spot. I also remember my mum giving me a, a right telling off one day in uh, early spring, uh, quite a cold day, we've been up, uh, been up Helvellyn. And uh, for some reason, Sophie didn't like going down. And so I actually carried her in my arms all the way down the, down the White Stones route, actually, back, oh. back to uh, King's Head. Goodness uh, uh, Yeah, no, my mother wasn't mightily impressed. Uh, you could have done with having the ponies that they once used. Yeah, <laughs> not <laughs> that route. We spent hours and hours and hours and days out on the fells um, with her on my back. And then once she got walking, um, that was it. Uh, she was out walking with us. Obviously, shorter distance to start off with, but longer and longer as time went on. I get the impression that the outdoors meant a lot to her. Well, so walked um, all her life, you know. Um, me and her mum, George, split up when she was about four, and uh, George himself moved to Kendall. Uh, by that stage, we were living out in the Eden Valley, so I was living out there by myself. But every time, every day I spent with Sophie, uh, we were outside doing something. Uh, in fact, when um, Fiona and I got together, so my second wife, Fee, mm-hmm. when we got together, Fee's, one of the first questions she asked me was, do you do anything other than go walking with Sophie? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer was no, actually. <laughs> she was obviously very good company. Oh, yeah, and she was just fantastic. Fantastic to be out. And then... Uh, through a teenager, she did uh, became a little more reluctant, but uh, she did keep going. And then she returned to it herself once she'd, she'd left home and was a real enthusiastic walker. And, um, you know, in, in her 20s, I spent, again, hours and hours and days out on the fells with her. 
Sophie loved the fells, but did she have any particular favourite places to go? Do you know what? It's one of those things I don't think I ever talked to her about her favourites. I know what, what mine are, but I don't think we ever discussed it. We had some spectacularly memorable days out. Um, actually, I was just looking at some photos quite recently, and there's a photo of her when she was about four, just stood on the top of cat bells, uh-huh. holding her... Um, she had a... Uh, it wasn't a teddy bear, it was a teddy dog, uh-huh. um, yeah. a cuddly dog called Saturday, and a picture of her stood on the top of cat bells, looking this, back this way, actually, which is a, a, a day that sticks in the memory. But I always carry um, a couple of photos out with me. Right, I um, see them here. Yeah, So, and these are of a day that the two of us have spent on Crossfell. A snowy uh, day, it, it looks. Yeah, so it was before the shelter was rebuilt, so it's going back a little way, isn't it? Yes. We were sheltering up there, and it was grim. <laughs> the, the clag was down. It got to a complete whiteout as we were uh, on the shelter, and we spent uh, a little while navigating our way off. <laughs> and it was one of those days where I'd got Sophie walking on a bearing, she was just going out of sight and getting her to stop. So we walked on a bear, me using her as a naming point. Yeah, exactly. Fabulous idea. And when, when we got to the big cairn at the end, yeah. she was mightily impressed. I felt really great because she was quite proud that I'd, we'd got each other off the felt. Soph was, was just an a incredibly sociable person. Loved people's company. Uh, was out and about. She worked behind the bar on... Uh, the wine bar on Lowther Street in Kendall for, for years, actually, mm. and uh, just enjoyed the crack. Uh, that's the spirit. She obviously loved people. We've come to the genuinely exciting stretch of Hallsfell. We've started our encounter with this wonderful rocky ridge. It's actually quite slippery, potentially, because it's not the sort of grippy rock that you get in other parts of the Lake District. But the view ahead is absolutely stunning. It's irregular, rocky spine, like a dinosaur's back, leading right up to the summit. And I could, a moment ago, I saw somebody standing on the summit and there's raven circling in the sky above it in the blue sky. I can fully understand why you've chosen to come here today, Andy. Well, it just feels very special when you get up to this, doesn't it? The effort of the big drag up from uh, Gate Gill uh, <laughs> up onto the ridge is just uh, effort well spent. Oh, it is. As soon as you get onto the, this uh, sinuous ridge, it's just a pleasure to be on it. And you're right, I like your description of the dragon's back in front of us. That is exactly what it is, isn't it? <laughs> it is, that's it. And that's exactly what we're going to go along in the next, next few minutes. Everything about it is propelling us. Actually, one thing I've got to say there, Mark, you're saying that is uh, ad montes oculus loawimus. I lift up mine eyes to the hills, our school motto. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Kessie Grammar School, no less. Uh, yes, but that's is. exactly what it is. That's what we're doing from here, isn't it? Absolutely. My wife went to school there. She sang it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not singing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reflecting back uh, probably three years ago, uh, December 2018. Yeah, well, we lost Sophie to suicide, uh, completely out of the blue. Um... Soph at that stage was living up in Edinburgh mm-hmm. uh, and had moved up uh, quite a few years before. She was nursing at uh, the Western General and a very well-respected nurse. Um, she got married and was living in a great flat right next to Arthur's Seat. Lovely spot. Soph had been up there for quite a little while and was going through a, quite a, a bit of uh, turmoil, a bit of chaotic stuff in her life. Uh, she had left her husband that through her own choice. Mm-hmm. Um, think about changing jobs. Um, so we knew that she was down. She definitely was down because mm-hmm. going through that 
um, is not an easy thing for anybody, but, but it's not unusual. Uh, many of us have been through it, myself included, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so we knew, she, we knew she was a bit downbeat, um, but we didn't know that she was suicidal. And run, in the run into Christmas, uh, she'd got herself a new flat sorted out for the new year, and she'd actually got a new job. She was going to change wards that she, where she was working in, and she really seemed to be looking forward uh, to 2019. Um, but then on the uh, 19th of December, so a week after her 29th birthday, we got a, a text um, or a message in the family WhatsApp group that said, um, I love you all so much, which uh, it, expressing love wasn't an unusual thing in our family, you know, that's what we say. But the, the kind of phrase that she used didn't ring true. And uh, so I phoned her. Um, just to check who was okay, but the phone just went to her, the answer phone. I was just about to text her when our landline went, and it was George, Soph's mum, who in absolute uh, hysterics. Uh, she just got a call from Sam, Soph's estranged husband, to say he'd got a message from her to say that she was going to kill herself, um, and where to find the car, they were uh, still using the same car. Apologised him for the mess she'd made of their marriage and um, signed off with uh, "Please don't bury me." So obviously not uh, a call for help. Um, and at that point, our brains turned to mush. Um, just you know, what do you do? What do you do? So we were shocked to say the least. Um, we tried to scrabble around trying to work out what to do. Tried to phone her again. Um, but nothing um, and we subsequently found out Sam had already phoned the police and told them about Soph's message the police had got to the car within minutes but by the time they got to the car Soph had gone and had disappeared so uh, we ended up going up to Edinburgh kind of kicking our heels for a couple of days uh, it was horrible it was really was like torture because there was nothing we could do uh, we went to where Soph had disappeared but you know there were people out searching what did he mean? What what difference could we make? And then on the Saturday, so three days later, we got a phone call from the police to say that um, they'd found Soph's body. Um, and we were actually told at the time that a local chap had, had found Soph and phoned the police and then had sat with her until the police had turned up, right. uh, which we were very grateful for. Um, yeah, so your world completely is shattered. It falls apart. You know, it, it, it's impossible to work out what's going on, uh, when to eat, <laughs> whether whether you can have a drink, uh, how to speak, um, and you're just collapsing in a state of distress yes. continually. Um, but anyway, that afternoon we sat, so me and my wife Fiona and Gregor, our son, um, Soph's brother, we sat and cried a lot and talked a lot. Um, and in amongst that conversation, one of the things that we decided that afternoon was we had to go out and face the world. Uh, we decided we couldn't cancel Christmas, you know. We were six days away from Christmas. We thought, we, ain't, we can't cancel that because if we do that, what happens next year mm-hmm. and the, or the year after, you know. Mm-hmm. So we would go ahead with that. And we also decided that we would have to go out and talk to people and tell people what happened to Soph. Uh, and somehow we were going to try and work out um, how to find something positive to pull out of the mess to help uh, other families avoid what we were going through. We didn't know what it was, but we were determined uh, from that day to, to pull something out of the wreckage.
what a place to be. Uh, top of Blencathra in the view. Well, looking south, I look right down the Helvellyn Range. You can see Castigcam down there. And uh, moving eastwards, you can see Ilvel, High Rays and all the way round. Uh, top of Gowbarrow and so on, and Low Pot. The Pennines are there, but a bit misty. You can see down towards Merton Pike and Crossfell, but a bit misty. Never mind, there's a lot in the foreground because we're looking down uh, Doddick and Scalesfell. The sun's beaming on the back of Bannerdale Crags and Souterfell and across down towards Eichard Hill. And that I can see that very distinctive heather summit of Carrickfell just to the right of Atkinson's Pike and uh, further on round High Pike and I can see the Nestle building in Dalston, <laughs> would you believe? And uh, that's just over the top of, uh, where are we now? Not, not, yes, and then Great Carver, Dead Crags, Binsey Beyond, Skidder's got a little bit of cloud on top, but you can see all of it, Skidder Little Man. And then we're looking back along the escarpment towards the Newlands Fells and Northwestern Fells. They're all there. You can see all the way down to Great Gable and Scorefell, Scorefell Pike, Ill Crag, S Pike, Bow Fell, Crinkle Crags, and of course all the cluster of fells, Coniston and Wetherlam, with uh, Thirlmere before that. And of course you can see Derwentwater. What's your thought about this view then, Andy? Well, this definitely loses my mind. I've spent hours and hours at this on this spot on and off over the years looking at views and sometimes no view i think one of the the most memorable was a few years ago actually came up after work uh-huh. and ran up here and it was claggy uh-huh. uh one summer's night and as i got to the top the cloud lifted and there was a brock inspector thrown behind me here right and i stood for quite a while and decided i had to get moving because i was just in my running stuff and then running back along the ridge, and I ran the whole way to Bleasfell with a Brock Inspector running along beside me. It was a, a magical, magical evening. As far as the place itself's concerned, I think we were just talking on the way up about the the, the forces that uh, created the front of Blencathra. Quite. Uh, these uh, truncated spurs. Yes. So the best best truncated spurs in Britain, I think. The, the important thing is, is the fact they're truncated, but they were all connected yeah. right through to Clough Head. Tell us why they're truncated. Well, there's a, there's a fault that runs right through this area, comes across from the top of Causey Pike and heads out towards Eichard Hill. Uh, obviously a weak spot in the, the landscape, which the periods of glaciation found out over the years. Yes. And so these uh, ridges that ran across above where Threlkeld is now were chopped off as the, uh, the large glacier that came out of the central uh, fells came up Derwentwater and turned east at Keswick and was pushed out into the Eden Valley, and it has, in doing so, chopped the front off. This was one great dome of a mountain. The whole thing was one great dome, and various ice ages have etched away at it and etched away, and you're left with a skeleton of what was a mighty mountain, a Himalayan mountain, you might say, of igneous rock. Just a magical place, and the ravens circle around all day long. Uh, if I come back again, I'll come back as a Blencathra raven. <laughs> Well, that's a fantastic walk along the escarpment over Gategill Fell. What an amazing prow that is. And we brought us all the way to Blees Fell with its very modest camp. And we started down this wonderful zigzagging path. Our thoughts now turn to you. And the post period, the period after the sad loss when Sophie took her life. Well, I think 
I would have to return to the afternoon um, of as losing solve. Um, one thing that happened that afternoon had a significant in- impact going forward, which was um, we had a visit from Stuart Fife, who's the vicar in Morland, turned up, um, and he came and sat with us as we were crying uh, and drank tea and talked about loss and grief and love. Uh, and one of the things he said um, resonated with me then and continues to be important now. He said that, um, talking about grief, he said, you'll always have a Sophie-shaped hole in your life and that won't go away. He said, people often say time's a great healer, but that's all a rubbish. So that hole will never heal. Uh, you'll carry it around forever. Uh, but he went on to say, what you will find, that as time goes on, you'll find things that begin to insulate you from that hole. So instead of falling into it or just being unable to get out of it, you will be able to move on with life and do things. Um, but there'll be things that begin to just protect you from the, that gaping loss. So you'll still fall into it occasionally, but you'll, it'll happen less and less often. Now, at the time... Um, I thought that's an interesting idea, but it kind of went to the back of my mind. But what he actually said was exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, we were looking for something to get hold of that was going to be positive. And when we were thinking about Soul's funeral, we were looking for a, a suicide prevention charity to support. Mm-hmm. I didn't fancy supporting the big ones because I thought they'll get plenty of cash from other people. Who Who else is there? So I actually contacted um, Sarah Swindley, the, the chief exec of uh, Lake District Foundation, because I know her being a trustee. And Sarah uh, pointed me immediately at Papyrus, uh, Prevention of Young Suicide. Never heard of them, but it turned out they were the perfect fit. You know, the first thing you do when you, you go onto their website, the first thing that stands out is uh, a message that says suicide is the biggest killer of under 35s in the UK. Who knew? And it was one of those things, you read that, I thought, well, why the hell isn't anybody telling anybody about this? You know, there's got to be some kind of message we can get out. Uh, And so we contacted Papyrus, and they turned out to be fantastic people. They're a nationwide charity. They are based in Warrington, but have offices right around the country now. And after talking to them, we decided they were the ones to support at Soul's Funeral, so we did that. And then also, um, I got involved in running a half marathon, Uh, so for before she died, was training to run a half marathon in Northumbria. Mm-hmm. After she died, a training mate, Laura, said she was still going to do it, so I thought, well, I'd better go and do it with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that thing led to us raising uh, tens of thousands of pounds for papyrus. But the, the thing that struck me going along, um, we obviously set off as a fundraising exercise, but I realised what we were doing. The key thing was actually getting people talking about suicide prevention uh, and encouraging people to talk to their children and friends and uh, actually reaching out for help uh, and that's kind of governed what I've been doing since and as Stuart said that was the thing that started me on my on this road that we're, we're still on. Most parents don't talk with their youngsters enough perhaps. Uh, absolutely absolutely um, and it was a, a conversation um, you know, why should you ask your daughter whether she's feeling suicidal if you know that she's feeling down is that the, an obvious question to have? It's certainly a hard question to have, but I think the one thing that we've found by dealing with papyrus is they encourage people to have these frank and open conversations because talking is the only way you find out how people feel. Uh, And so in the time since we lost Soph, that's what I've been instrumental in trying to do, is just encourage people to talk. Even in these last few months, you've involved yourself in something that 
really brought it all together, I think. Three dads walking. Could you lead us through how that all came together, Andy? Um, well, the thing that is common to the three of us was we've all lost daughters to suicide. We didn't know each other. We come from different parts of the country and I'd never come across each other before. Uh, but what had happened in March 2020, Tim and Mike uh, both lost their daughters, Emily and Beth, uh, to suicide. Beth was 17 and Emily was 19. Um, so the start of lockdown, they, they got themselves into a very dark place uh, and saw their world being shut down. Um, they took their own lives within five days of each other. And it was Tim's daughter spotted what was going on on social media, that there was another family experienced exactly the same thing as them and reached out. Uh, and as that, that year went on, they started to talk about trying to do something that would be positive, the same kind of uh, process that we'd gone through. Um, and they were starting to explore the idea of a, of a walk between the houses. Mike and I got talking in early in the new year and we talked a lot about our daughters and our experience of, of where we got to. Because obviously I was a, a couple of years farther down the line than he was. Uh, anyway, the upshot of that was we decided we would get together uh, and go for a walk. So we met at uh, Kirby Stephen and we had a walk up on to Smardale Fell and around the nature reserve. But in amongst all that, Mike said he's, he'd got this idea <clears throat> and he'd been talking to another suicide bereaved dad, Tim, uh, and it got this thought in his head of walking between our houses to raise the profile of Pyrus and to uh, encourage people to talk about suicide prevention. And I thought, oh, that sounds an interesting idea. And he said, well, I've, I've got a plan. Ooh. Oh, yes, exactly, that's exactly... A plan with a plan. M- yes, more than that, he had a map. And uh, Mike, out of the back of his van, got a 2020 road atlas, which he opened up to the, the front page, you know, the one that shows the whole of Great Britain. <laughs> and, and, he, oh, yeah. and he put a dot on... Penrith, <laughs> and he put a dot on Sale, he put a dot on Derby actually, and then a dot on Kings Lynn, and he'd drawn three lines, and he went, that's it. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, that's fantastic. I've got to say, it took me a while to stop laughing, and I thought, well, I think we might need a bit more detail than that, Mike. <laughs> but how far do you think it's going to be? Oh, about 280 miles? Yeah, go on, let's do it. And that was it, that's how, that's how we started. This is a journey that I think we'll learn a little bit more of as we get a little further down the hill but it sounds really really fascinating well, we've come off the wonderfully graded path and uh, it's the time to just reflect on the walk the big walk well say it was mike's idea uh, and his vision was um just having three dads three normal dads from three ordinary homes uh walking well it turned out to be over 300 miles um, but just to show that suicide could happen to anybody anywhere and it was a country-wide um, problem Tim and I uh, just immediately said yes uh, the first thing I did was I contacted friends at Ordnance Survey and they supplied us with sets of maps each so it was, it was great it was like Christmas when that box of maps arrived most of it fell together really quickly because there were some obvious ways that we used some uh, national trails to link things together and then, then there was odd bits that proved to be a challenge but... oh god it was horrible no <laughs> 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 oh, don't the bits on the road stick out as the worst bits they were just mind-numbingly hard physically hard because it just trashes your feet 
but the rest of it, I mean, the big chunks of it were fantastic and uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Particularly your stretch with a country that you knew well. Yes, we literally did walk out of our front door in Moorland through the village uh, and over towards Shap through the fields, which was lovely. Out of Shap on the A6 for a little bit, um, but we were then picked up um, Shap Old Road, which I never knew existed. Oh, yes. Uh, and it's a, a bridleway now. It was the road that was there prior to the A6. Yeah, it goes so over the Shap Summit. It was fantastic, and it just lovely underfoot. Uh, lovely down into Crookdale and uh, Borrowdale, the secret Borrowdale, yes. uh, before uh, zipping round by, um, I was going to say Jungle Cafe, but uh, Ken, <laughs> yeah. Ken, Kendall Caravans. Yeah, we've done a podcast in that business. Yeah, and, and just ple- really pleasant. Um, so that was the first day. The second day was through Kendall. A lot of it was on the roads, but all the all, uh, highways and byways between uh, Kendall and uh, Kirby Lonsdale which was really nice. It was a, actually quite a pleasant day. and We had loads of people out walking with us that day, so it was a, a, a lovely social day. Uh, and then we escaped from Cumbria and then went on into the Forest of Boland, which was new to me, and that was fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I believe the Queen loves the Forest of Boland. <laughs> well, it isn't her favourite pub at Whitewell. Well, there Whitewell, you are. Yeah, yes, yeah. it all comes together. That's what I was told, anyway. It, it was a very social uh, event, in effect. People instinctively wanted to be part of the sense of cathartic restoration that it probably represented to them personally. We always knew we were going to be joined by people on the walk. Uh, In fact, we went out our way to help them because uh, we were carrying a tracker so people could actually follow us in real time, which meant uh, folk just intercepted us, Uh, sometimes just to say well done and wish us well or uh, feed us cake. (laughs) Uh, But more often than not, people would come and join us and walk with us. Um, many of whom were suicide bereaved parents who wanted to share their stories and talk to us about their children and their loss um, and talk to us about how we got into this place of being very open um, and uh, trying to help others. So there were a lot of very, very powerful conversations that went on along the way. I think one of the... uh, That day going through the Forest of Boland will stick in the memory forever. And it was a beautiful day. There was five of us actually walked through there, the three dads, so me, Tim and Mike. We were joined by Bill, who was my mate, Sophie's uncle actually, who was always going to walk that section with us. But then we were joined by uh, Martin, a farmer from Lancashire, mm-hmm. who'd actually, it turned out, lost his daughter a fortnight before. He was in the, that very early stage of desperate grief. Um, but he'd seen what we were doing and decided he wanted to come and walk with us just to find out how we'd got to where we were. Um, and it was a, a fantastic day, actually. We, we talked a lot about Tilly, that was Martin's daughter, and uh, what had happened, and we shared our stories, with our girls, with him. Um, but then we also talked a lot about farming, because <laughs> mm. Bill's a retired farmer, and obviously uh, Martin was, is a farmer, and so they shared a lot, of, lot in common. Um, and it was a, it was just a good day, a good crack during the day. Uh, at the start of the day, Martin was, you could see he was desperate. He was drawn and, and suffering. You could see the pain in his face. Uh, by the time he left us uh, at Whitewell, Bill, Bill and Martin went into the pub, actually, while we carried on walking. He was almost a different bloke. Um, mm. he'd, he'd, he'd learnt, I think, that life does go on whether you like it or not and that there was some hope that um, that you do keep on living that you don't just remain crushed forever 
Um, and But it was inspira- inspirational to us to see the effect of talking could have on him uh, and others. Yeah, that's what we found every day. When we talked to suicide bereaved parents, it had a, a massively uplifting effect. Obviously, when you've lost somebody, uh, talking helps you through it. It certainly helped us as, as the three dads. It was a very cathartic experience to help others uh, and share others' pain. But it uh, was a reminder that before we get to that terrible loss of suicide, that talking is the key to saving people. And on the way, quite a few uh, very notable celebrities endorsed what you were doing. Yeah, we were a bit stunned by that, actually. Um, The first we heard, it was actually on the Friday before we started, we got a message from Papyrus to say um, that they'd received a, a donation of £10,000 from Daniel Craig. And they went and checked to see if it was the Daniel Craig, and it was. <laughs> and it was great because it actually prompted lots of people to take note. Um, but then subsequently, Nicole Kidman uh, also gave another £10,000. But without doubt, for my mind, the uh, the best uh, celebrity was... Um, Lou Macari, which I find quite hard to say, is a Man City fan. <laughs> uh, Lou Macari, of course, is a Man United legend. What a legend. Yes. And so we happened to walk into Old Trafford. We were invited into Old Trafford. Mike's a, a, a United fan and has contacts there. And so we were invited into Old Trafford and we met Lou Macari. Oh, he's a star. He, he, he lost his son to suicide in oh, 1999. Right. And so he had an interest in what we were doing. Yes. What a great bloke to talk to, really interesting. Uh, he, he was very interested in what we were doing and wanted to support us, but he did say, uh, so how much did uh, Daniel Craig give you? And he said, well, £10,000. I said, all oh, right, I'll give you 10001 <laughs> <laughs> I've got to beat James Bond. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it was, it was, it was just brilliant. It was a long walk. What was the feeling at the end of it? Um... It was a bit odd, really, because the last day was the shortest day. I think it was nine miles we walked, whereas the rest were nicely over 20. So it felt like we'd barely got warmed up on the day. <laughs> we were joined by 25 people, something like that, walking in. So it was a great crowd that uh, walked into Shildham, uh, Tim's village, um, and we were greeted by hundreds of people. Um and it was odd to finish uh, because obviously all we'd done for the previous 15 days was get up, put our kit on and get out. And uh, to, the, to, not, to know we're not going to do that the next day was just weird. Mm. But what actually happened, it, we did talk about whether this whole thing would feel as though it's crashed down at the end of it, where it'd come to a grinding halt. But because of the interest we've created, every single day since we finished walking, we're talking to people about it. So it, uh, like here, on the side yes. of Lancaster. No uh, sense of anti-climax. No, it, it's a not. Continuity. Uh, absolutely. So every single day, we've been picking up pieces, or uh, been on the phone to people, or writing stuff down. So yes, the walk's finished, but the three dads walking hasn't, um, and the message that we're sending out about talking certainly hasn't. You're, you're going to see, you're going to see a lot more of us actually over the, the coming months. The walk was the end of the beginning. Yes, exactly. Nicely put. Nicely put. Well, we'll continue a little bit further down. We're making good headway. The sun is doing its level best to dip over the horizon. Actually, <laughs> behind High Style and Red Pike. But we'll pursue it a little bit further before it gets down. Well, we've reached the intake wall, come through a gate, and we are approaching Bleeds Beck. And uh, I can reflect and look up at the... Not Halla. Not... What is it? <laughs> not... Not Allah. Not Allah. I can look up there, <laughs> up towards the canyon on 
Gategill fell and Blees fell, majestic scene. We touched on so many things, uh, but it'd be nice to be able to just think about the benefits of the outdoors for you personally, how it's helped you. Well, as we've, we've, we've talked about, you know, I've spent such a lot of time uh, on the Lake District Fells and other mountains around the world. Um, and I've always enjoyed it. It's, it's, you get some massive benefit just being outside. But I've got to say, since losing Sophie, I've spent a lot of time out uh, in, in very reflective mode. And it's just a pleasure being out. The ability to turn off the day-to-day, everyday complications and just uh, let the outdoors wash over you is a, a superb way to get rid of a lot of the the anxiety and the stresses and strains of, of everyday life and, and it's certainly something that I've enjoyed uh, we definitely found on the walk three dads walking it's one of the things we talked about that it was really beneficial for us that physical nature of what we were doing you know getting up putting your kit on and walking for 12 hours um, it, despite the fact we were talking about a lot of heavy stuff on, on route you still felt um, I wouldn't say refreshed, but but men- mentally um, cleaned yes. at the end of each day. And of course, the whole process of walking three guys together, you actually got emotionally connected. We'd not really thought about it before we'd set off, how three dads, three ordinary blokes, talking about very powerful emotional stuff, how it would resonate with people. I think the fact it was three men talking about some uh, topics that really don't get covered and if they do it tends to be the uh, the wives that would talk about the emotional stuff really seems to have cut through to so many other people is there one specific place that causes Sophie to come welling into your mind um, no it's not because we, we've been to so many different places um, where there's been in the lakes in Scotland different places around the world even um, there's nowhere that I, I stand and think, ah, oh, this reminds me of soul. It's when I'm out, she's out there with me, you know, that, um, because we've shared so much about our experience uh, and also talked about how soul was um, in her lifetime. She's just with me all the time. As we saw earlier on, I carry photos of her in the bag and I have done that since uh, we lost her. But the fact that I've been speaking about suicide, Sophie's suicide and Sophie... Uh, for three years now she's with me every day every time I go out without any doubt she's coming out here with me Journey's End Night falling, a beautiful pink sky just beyond the Newlands Fells. Uh, and we're returning down to Blees Road here after a, a wonderful day on the Fells. And uh, yeah, Blencathra always captivating, Mark. Oh, Blencathra, it's a splendid fell, and we've been on the splendid fell with a wonderful fella. Andy Airy, I think, is an inspiration. Uh, he's built a lot of friends from what he's done, which was quite extraordinary yeah very articulate about mental health about suicide but also about that route to recovery and of course 
that route that those three dads took, garnering nationwide support. They touched thousands of people's lives doing that and obviously got incredible support, not least from... Um, Daniel Craig. Well, Daniel and, Craig, um, Nicole Kidman and yeah. many others. But yeah, lovely to hear his story firsthand, but also his passion for this place as well. Mm. means a huge amount to him and clearly to Sophie as well. And also lovely to hear that link as well between him and Donald Angus from our previous podcast. <laughs> yeah. He clearly really made um, an impact on Andy's early life. Our usual housekeeping, if you've enjoyed this episode, there are more than 65 uh, other episodes available at www.countrystride.co.uk. If you enjoy what we do here, the best way of supporting us is to buy our guidebooks. Um, there's at least three, I think, so far, uh, and there's more coming. But again, you can find them on the same website. If you'd like to drop us a line at any time, we'd love hearing from you. Just click on Contact Us on the website. We're on social media, Mark. Facebook and Twitter at Countryside One. Yeah, all kinds of interesting stuff that we post up there, not least photos and Mark's lovely linescapes. Next few weeks, earlier, darker, colder nights, we're going to Caldbeck, maybe, and we're going to Easdale to talk about ghosts and Christmas and stuff. I know we've got that planned. Roundup of the year will come later on, of course. So we've got quite a lot on. This has been a very special occasion today, an unusual one for us today but a magnificent mountain with a wonderful man. Well, as night falls then on Thrallkell, we're saying goodbye for now and thanks for joining us on Country Stride.